Hello, and welcome to another Breakfast Bible Time with me. Please sit down, join me, as we continue our study of the Holy Spirit. At our last breakfast together, we saw that God the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality, just as God the Father and God the Son are persons. You may recall that I studied all the verses that spoke of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. As I studied the teaching of these verses, I found a significant number of them referred to the work of the Holy Spirit during the Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, as recorded in the Gospels. You see, the work of the Spirit is directly related to the human nature of Christ during those days. In fact, I had never realized that the Holy Spirit was the vital agent that enabled the Lord Jesus Christ to minister in his humanity. The general thrust of the statements of Scripture seems to be that his entire ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us in chapter 4, verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. We also read in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost or Spirit and with power they went together, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You know, it then dawned on me that if he needed the Spirit's help during those days, then how much more do we need the Spirit's help in our lives. Now, I find this amazing. So let us now see in what ways the Spirit enabled the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry and see how that same Spirit as his agent can work in us. That's in you. That's in me. You know, as I, I started thinking about this, I realized how hard it is to understand the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as they carry out their plan for history. The Trinity is hard for us to understand, but the scriptures have told us what we need to know about it. Now, since we're very close to Christmas and our celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, it seems so natural for us today to try to understand the Spirit's relationship that Christ had with the Holy Spirit during the earthly ministry. Very importantly, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit came in answer to our Lord and Savior's request of the Father. He prayed to his Father about the Holy Spirit. That request was for the Father to send the Holy Spirit to indwell all true believers in Christ. Again, you and me. And with his help, we can be empowered to carry out God's will in our daily lives. Now, keeping that thought in mind, let's consider Jesus Christ's need of the Holy Spirit to empower him as he entered into human history as both God and man. You see, the joining of God the Son with a human nature is called the Incarnation. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice, at his birth in Bethlehem, God the Son took upon himself the nature or character of a human being. Now, I frankly find this very difficult to comprehend. I thought you might also have the same difficulty. So I thought we'll take this breakfast time to look at what the scriptures tell us about the Incarnation and the part that the Holy Spirit played in it. We're going to begin by noting three key terms in this verse in Philippians. Number one, it says, being found in fashion as a man. This means he became like us in that he had flesh, had five senses. He walked as we do. He talked as we do. He had the manner of life as we do in his humanity. Secondly, he humbled himself. That means that having perfect, divine, eternal nature of the Godhead and being the God of creation who created it all, he willingly accepted the lower rank of a human, both in his position, his outward appearance, and his limitation as a servant. Third, he became obedient unto death. Literally means to give ear or submit in a way that affects our behavior as we hear something. Now, the Lord did not have to learn to obey, for within the Trinity there was total unified actions. Thus, his submission permitted him to give his life on the cross for every human being of history. How God, the Creator, could do this is beyond our ability to think it through. Now, these three character traits all came into being at a single point in time, and that time was the conception of the Lord as a human baby, and it involved both a single human, the Virgin Mary, and the agency of the Holy Spirit. For Luke, being a doctor, remember, tells us in chapter 1, verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Again, in ways we can't fully understand, the Holy Spirit was the agent in bringing together divine, human, divine nature and a human nature in the womb of Mary. That's all that can be said. The mechanics are known to God only. And don't try to go beyond what the scriptures tell us. But above all, we clearly see that no human father was involved, period. We also see the work of God the Father in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou, that's speaking to God the Father, wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me, said Jesus Christ. Now, he was quoting from Psalm 40, verse 6. From these two passages, 
we see that the Father prepared in full agreement with and acceptance by God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They planned this combining of natures. God the Son, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, he chose to partake in the Trinity's plan by becoming a man. For we read in verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that's us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Therefore, Jesus Christ had no human father, but he was now in Bethlehem, the infinite God-man, unique in history. Notice in the scriptures, furthermore, the Holy Spirit is never called the Father at this incarnation of Jesus Christ, nor anywhere else in scripture. Only God the Father is identified in the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit's never called Father. Jesus Christ is never called Father. That's important to understand. I would also add that no man was Christ's natural father, absolutely none. Now, Joseph, if we go to Matthew's genealogy and we read it, we see very clearly in chapter 1 that Joseph was Christ's legal father only that established him to be qualified for the throne of David. That's a legality. He was not a natural father. Thus, the Holy Spirit was the agent in bringing together the divine and the human natures all into one. And that's all that can be said. Please leave the mechanics to God alone. Now, the birth of Christ not only was a miracle, there are many miracles in the Bible, but it was a unique miracle. As we look at the miracles in the Bible, we see that they all altered or affected natural laws. That's laws regarding physical things, regarding people or their bodies. But with Christ, it required a unique change in the nature of God himself. For God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were spirits prior to the conception of Christ. As the ideal man, Jesus Christ lived under the help and power of the Holy Spirit. Because of this, we believe the scriptures indicate that Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of conception. For Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3 tell us, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, that's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, further by inference and the example of John the Baptist. If John was filled with the spirit all his life, and the Lord Jesus was a real man, and greater than John, and John was among men, the greatest, then Christ was greater, then the Lord was filled all his life in a similar manner. For John was filled with the Spirit all his life, 
according to, again, Dr. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. In his humanity, Jesus grew and developed, learned and matured. Again, Dr. Luke quoting on him, chapter 2, verse 40 says, The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter 5, verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now notice carefully, Christ did not learn how to obey because he didn't always obey. No, of course not. He always obeyed. But he learned obedience. This was a learned trait as he walked on the earth because he had not experienced this prior to his earthly walk. You see, in the Trinity, there was no need about obeying each other because they were one. They worked totally together in ways we don't fully understand. There was no, you better obey me in the Trinity ever. Christ learned obedience because he hadn't had the experience of learning about obedience until he walked as a human upon this earth. Furthermore, caution. This maturing did not involve overcoming sin, for there is no sin, never has been any sin, and never will be any sin in Jesus Christ. Every phase of his growth was under the control, that full measure of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is ideal humanity experiencing ideal growth. Now, here's a question to think about. Doesn't this suggest that God planned for even unfallen man, when Adam created him, to live with divine help if Jesus Christ, who was perfect man, was given the Holy Spirit from his conception? And even when we move into sinful humanity, by our very finiteness, we also require that divine power if we're going to accomplish God's pleasure and purposes. Christ, the ideal, excuse me, Christ, the ideal man, he lived under the health and the power of the Holy Spirit. Never forget that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is related to the human nature of Christ, his humanity. Now, at our next breakfast, we'll continue to see how the Holy Spirit enabled our Lord to minister during his days upon the earth. In the birth of Christ, we see that the Holy Spirit was the agent of the birth. I don't know about you, but I thank God the Trinity for his marvelous plan that would result in offering salvation for my sins, your sins, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who would offer his human body upon the cross. There his shed blood could atone for each one of us. For Hebrews 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood is no remission. This Christmas, please remember, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, that's anyone, should believeth in him, should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. For remember, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This was all possible because Jesus Christ was empowered by the Holy Spirit to come into the world to die. God the Son accepted readily the task to come into the world and get that human nature added to him, and God the Father superintended them all. But never forget, it didn't end at the cross. He's coming again as king to rule on this earth and the millennial kingdom. Next time you sing the hymn, Joy to the World, look at the words. That hymn wasn't about his first coming, though it can relate to it. It's about his second coming to this earth to rule as king. Then the whole world can have joy. If you know the Lord, you'll be reigning with him at that time. So this Christmas, may you thank the Lord for his gift of eternal life and thank the Lord for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to enable you to serve it, the living God. May you remember that you are training and equipping and learning to be able to help serve him in eternity as well as the millennial kingdom. To do that, you must allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, control you, and direct you, which we're going to learn about in just a couple more breakfasts. Written in 1719 by Isaac Watts, Joy to the World is the most widely known Christmas carol in the United States. Based on Psalm 96 and 98, it not only speaks of Jesus Christ's first coming, but speaks of his triumph in his second coming. Now as we pause at this Christmas season to look back to Jesus Christ's first coming, let us also look forward with anticipation to his second coming. From our house to yours, we wish you a Christ-filled Christmas and a blessed New Year.